Thank you, Ethan, and good morning again, Wilshire. It is good to be together today on this chilly November morning. I like this time of year. Things kind of slow down a little bit for a week, and uh, we get to spend some extra time with family and friends, and so I am, I am very grateful. I hope you'll join me in 1 Corinthians 16. We're going to talk about this text that is often skipped, and I appreciate so much Taylor's reading of this. I love when Taylor reads, because if you close your eyes, it's almost as if you're hearing Paul say it. And I think that's what good scripture reading does. You can hear it as if it is being said to you. And so, Taylor, thank you for that this morning. Last week, I was at Petty John Springs Christian Camp with our youth group on our uh, annual youth and family retreat. It was cold down there. The beds aren't nearly as comfortable as my bed at home is. But we had a good time for the most part. And since I wasn't here Sunday, knowing Jim was going to be absent, I sent Jim a text and I said, so how did it go Sunday? Where did you leave off? What plans do you have for me to preach Sunday? And Jim said he got through chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, and I am free to talk about chapter 16 or just talk about something altogether different which is tempting to do. It's the week of Thanksgiving. People are thinking about lots of things. Who wants to read 1 Corinthians 16? It's it's one of those texts that's wrapping up a book where Paul throws out his travel plans. He, He tells them, I'd like to come to Corinth. I don't want to just pass through. I want to take some time to spend time with you. And maybe come wintertime, I can do that. You don't want to be traveling the seas at wintertime. So Paul says, maybe I'll just winter there. But before I get there, I'd like to pass through Macedonia. That's where the church of uh, Thessalonica is, the church of Philippi is. I'd like to make a few travel plans. I hope you guys will take up a collection so that when I come, things are in order. I'm sending Timothy. It's kind of a hard job. Be, Be nice to Timothy. Don't hurt Timothy. We love Timothy. And I'm trying to get Apollos to stop by. He's not really up to it right now, or it's not the Lord's will right now. But, but maybe Apollos can come spend some time in Corinth. There. Doesn't that excite you? The week of Thanksgiving to read Paul's travel itinerary and calendar. It's one of those texts that you're tempted to skip because it doesn't seem to have a lot of application to it. It's kind of like when the preacher starts his preaching and he goes off on some story and you think, what is he talking about? And you check out, like many of you have already this morning, there's this sense of why listen to this, right? That's 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And so it's tempting to say, Jim, you did a good job with chapter 15. Chapter 16 is Paul just wrapping up. I'm going a different way. Because if you were here last week, You know, 1 Corinthians 15 is like something of the crown jewel of the book of 1 Corinthians. Paul's been talking about all these problems. There's this doubt about the resurrection. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, let me tell you what the heart and soul and the core of our faith is. That I told you on the night, I told you, I passed along 
and you believed it and are saved by this truth. Jesus died for our sins, was buried according to the scriptures, and he was raised again on the third day. And we know that to be true because he appeared to Peter, he appeared to the twelve, he appeared to over 500 brethren at once, he appeared to me as one born out of timely season. We know he's alive. We know he's been raised. And, and some of you say he hasn't. Well, that doesn't make sense. If Jesus hasn't been raised, our preaching is in vain. Everything we do is in vain. And, and my goodness, Paul says, we of all people are to be most pitied if this is all there is. But he has been raised. And because he's been raised, we know we will be raised. Because we will receive a body like he received a body. And that body won't be subject to, to decay and breaking down. And he closes chapter 15 by taunting death. Where is your victory? And then the last verse of 1 Corinthians 15. Therefore. Be steadfast, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because you know, because Jesus is raised, because we'll be raised, because this isn't all there is, because we are not to be pitied for our faith in Jesus, you know that your labor is not in vain. That's how you end a book. But no, Paul had to go on and write chapter 16. And tell us his travel plans. But if you look more closely, there's a reason Paul talks about the things he talks about. There's a reason he says, now, I want you to take up a collection. And let me tell you what I'm doing. And let me tell you what I'm planning. And let me tell you what I want you to be doing. What chapter 16 does in 1 Corinthians is helps the church in Corinth continue in their labor of the Lord. It's interesting because this church has been fighting and fussing about everything. You've seen this as we've preached through it. We've seen this as we talked about in Bible class about a year ago. They've been fighting over preachers. They've been fighting over sexual ethics. They've been fighting over eating meat. They've been fighting over spiritual gifts. They've been fighting over... Uh, communion, they've been fighting in court with each other, they've been fighting about a resurrection, and Paul says it is time to get back to work. Because Jesus has been raised. Because we're going to be raised. We don't have time to be sitting around doing this nonsense. There is work to be done. And chapter 16 begins laying out the work to be done. And so, even though Jim was ever so kind to allow me to skip chapter 16, I'd rather look more closely at it. So, he invites them into the work that is abundant. And he invites them to step into this work because he knows that the gospel is true. And when you know that the gospel is true, you cannot sit still if you really believe it. So first thing Paul says, this collection. Now about the collection. Now this is one of those verses 
that we use as a proof text to tell people you got to give on the first day of the week. See there? Paul says right there, the first day of every week, give. You can even see it as Taylor reads the scripture reading this morning. Everyone's thinking, here comes another sermon on giving. It's bigger than that. And this text has often been used only for that purpose. But look at what's going on. This collection, he doesn't say much about it here in 1 Corinthians because he assumes that they already know the story of this collection. This collection is, is a wonderful thing that we find through other scriptures because we have the benefit of that. This collection is a brilliant piece of work in the ministry of Paul. I, I want to tell you about this collection just a little bit. And i got to take you some other text because, again, Paul doesn't tell us here in 1 Corinthians, so we have to find him talking about it elsewhere. This shows up in at least three other texts. And when you see what's going on, you'll see why this is a beautiful, brilliant moment in 1 Corinthians. The first time you find statement, we think, of this collection is in the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 2. Fourteen years after Paul became a Christian, he makes this trip up to Jerusalem. Because there's some folks not really thrilled with Paul. For one, some people aren't sure that he's really trustworthy. And so in Galatians, Paul tells them his story. You know that I was a persecutor of the church, and you know that I gave my life to God, and I am not doing this to please men. But Paul is also under a little suspicion, because he's sharing Jesus with people we don't want him to share Jesus with, the Gentiles. And Paul is going around, and he's preaching, and he's baptizing, and he's eating with, and he's sharing the gospel with these non-Jewish people. And that upsets a few folks. So they call them all to Jerusalem. They have this big meeting. And Paul is able to convince them that God is at work among the Gentiles. And so, after that meeting, many of them seem pretty convinced. And in Galatians chapter 2, they tell Paul, okay, only remember this. We want you to remember the poor. <laughs> and you can almost immediately begin seeing the gears of Paul's mind work. So, so you understand I'm taking the gospel to the Gentiles, right? And you're asking me to remember the poor, right? And Paul gets this light bulb. Wouldn't it be great? If I take the gospel around the world and I share Jesus with Gentiles and I get the Gentile brothers and sisters to take up a collection to take back to Jerusalem, what will that say? What will that, what will that show about what the church is, about the unity of believers between Jews and Gentiles for all these Gentiles that you haven't accepted, the Gentiles that you've struggled with to say, I don't know, I'm not sure if they're really Christians or not, I'm not really sure if God has blessed them. What if I could walk back into Jerusalem with a pile of money and say, I've remembered the poor, but even more so, your brothers and sisters who are Gentiles have remembered the poor. And so Paul goes to work. 
And he goes through the churches and he asks them to give to this moment. To donate to this movement. Because he wants to take this money back. Or he wants them, as you see in 1 Corinthians, to take this money back. And so the first time you see this collection is Galatians chapter 2. And this offhand statement, hey, remember the poor. And Paul goes about it. And the next time you read about this is in 2 Corinthians. He gives two chapters to this in 2 Corinthians. He mentioned it here in 1 Corinthians. Take up a collection. I told this to the church in Galatia. You find out he said something to Philippi and Thessalonica. But after the first letter of 1 Corinthians, when he says, look, take up a collection, it seems things have slowed down maybe a little bit. Maybe they're not giving as much as they ought to, and maybe, maybe we've kind of lost some momentum. So Paul says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 2. During a severe ordeal of affliction, their abundant joy, he's talking about the church in Thessalonica and Galatia. In the middle of their afflictions, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. They voluntarily gave according to their means and even beyond their means, begging us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry of the saints. Paul says, your Gentile brothers and sisters in Thessalonica and in Philippi are begging us to take some money and to carry it back to our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. Even though they are suffering, even though they are hurting, they said, we want to be part of this ministry. And they're begging us, Paul says, to take some money back with us. And so between the first letter of Corinthians and the second letter of Corinthians, Paul has to write back to him and say, hey, step it up, fellas. Your brothers and sisters who are suffering are giving more than you. Step up, follow the, follow the pattern of Jesus and how Jesus was so giving. And so in essence, Paul says, look, I've been bragging about you, don't let me down. And in the church in, Cor in Corinth, they're all about pride and they're all about their names being known. They're all about letting people know just how spiritual I am. And Paul plays on that. He says, why don't you give some money? Not to Paul, but to your brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. Give as you've made up your mind. Don't do it under compulsion. Do it with joy. God's going to take care of you. Now there's a third time you see this collection come up in Scripture. Romans chapter 15. <coughs> So in Romans 15, as Paul is kind of wrapping that letter up and coming to a close, again, some more of this part of a book you may be tempted to skip. Paul writes this, beginning in verse 25, about this collection. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. 
For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessing, they owe it to the Jews to share with their material blessings. So after I've completed this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit with you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. And then he makes this request. Verse 31. Pray that I may be kept safe from unbelievers in Judea, and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there. So when you read in 1 Corinthians, Paul writing to this church and saying, let's talk about the contribution. Let's talk about this collection here. It's more than Paul saying, look, you need to give on the first day of every week because that's what we do. That's our identification as a church. That's one of our five acts of worship. There's so much more going on. Paul is inviting this church in Corinth to be part of this grand plan of the kingdom of God. To contribute to the unifying work of simply helping our poor brothers and sisters in Christ back in Jerusalem. So I want you to think about that for a minute. Everything that's happening in that church everything they're fighting about, everything they're dividing about. Paul says, Jesus Christ is raised. And when we are working for the Lord, we don't have time for division. I sometimes listen to fights happening in other churches. Things they're arguing about and dividing about, fighting about. I sometimes sit back and wonder, have they converted everyone in their community? Have they fed all of the hungry? Have they ended the problem of racism? How do you have time to fight if you're about the Lord's business? And the problem in Corinth seems to be they forgot what the Lord's business was. And because they're not focusing on the work God gave them, they're focusing on themselves and dividing the church. And one of the things Paul is calling them to do in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, in this simple act of taking a collection, is to find something to be unified around. He really gave it to him early on in 1 Corinthians. I was determined to know nothing among you save Christ and him crucified. That's our unifying point. And he reminded them of that at the end of the book, in chapter 15. Jesus died for our sins, was buried according to Scripture, was raised again the third day. <coughs> now take what we all believe and work together to share that message with others. That's what 1 Corinthians 16 is about. This collection he was taking was a way of calling everyone in Corinth to work together. Notice he says in chapter 16, let everyone take part in this. Not just the rich. Corinth had some rich folks. Even the poor can be part of this work. 
when we give, we are displaying our unity. That's part of the collection. It's not just, God told me to give, let me dig in my wallet or dig in my purse and see what I got left over. Paul says, I want you to intentionally think about how you together contribute to the work of the Lord. That's why we take a collection. As a sign and expression of our unity in Christ and our belief that Jesus is raised, and because he's raised, we have work to do. And giving is a collective way of saying, I am buying into that work myself. And Paul calls them to give in 1 Corinthians in hopes that our giving brings others to the kingdom of God. Don't you wish you could have been there when Paul and these emissaries from Corinth walked into Jerusalem carrying this contribution? You can imagine people gathered in the room (coughs) and seeing Paul walk in with Gentiles. Paul, why do you keep doing this? This is the very thing causing us problems. Wouldn't you like to think it was a Sunday morning, gathered for church, and Paul is sitting there next to his Gentile brethren? Communion is served, and Paul is sharing it with his Gentile brethren. And then Paul stands up and says, we've brought something for you. You remember when you told me a few years ago to remember the poor? We're here for that. And you remember when you wondered whether or not Gentiles can truly be accepted in the kingdom of God? Whether or not they're true believers? Whether or not they really have a place? Your Gentile brothers and sisters have given of their own means, in their own suffering, through their own struggles, because they are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Here you go. How do you respond to that? Well, we'll take their money, but we won't go to church with them. That ain't going to land well. Well, we'll accept their money, but we won't. You won't what? You won't greet them with the holy kiss? You won't give them your time? You won't sing with them? You won't pray with them? You won't baptize them? You won't what? They have given of their own suffering to remember the poor. They have embodied the very message of the gospel of Jesus. Are you going to turn that away? Wouldn't you have loved to have been there when Paul says, here you go. From your brothers and sisters in Galatia, Thessalonica, Philippi, Corinth, they sent this with me. When we give, we do so in hopes that those who receive have a clearer glimpse of the kingdom of God. Kent Hartman is a missionary in residence at an OC. And in a few days, he and about 10, 15 students and some others are traveling to Africa 
to work at an orphanage. This village where they're traveling to has, has taken upon themselves this, this mission effort. It's taken upon themselves to collect babies who have been abandoned on the roadside. And they take them in and, and Kent and, and others are going just simply to hold babies. Wouldn't that be a, a great mission trip? Just all you need to do is rock the babies. And they're also going to help the women to learn safe birthing practices. You, you see, what they've accustomed to doing is, is to prep for the, the birth and, and cleaning up after the birth. They just use anything. And, and this ministry, this orphanage, has, has taught them, no, if we can use some sterile things and some clean things, we can reduce the number of child deaths. And because of those simple acts, they have reduced child mortality by over 50%. <clears throat> There's someone going on this mission trip, a young lady, who plays uh, one of the sports at OC. She's not a believer in Jesus. She's not a Christian. Kent told her, I want you to go on this trip. This will be good for you. She said, I don't have any money. So Kent picked up the phone, and he called churches, and he called individuals, and they have fully funded her mission trip to go hold babies, to experience the grace of God and watch others give that. And she said to Kent the other day, you mean to tell me people who have never met me are giving me money? You think her eyes aren't going to be opened? You think she's not going to see Jesus and the gospel at work in a unique way? Because people were willing to give. And that's what Paul is asking the church in Corinth to do. Remember the poor. There's one other aspect as we finish up 1 Corinthians that I want to show you in this often skipped text. <clears throat> There's a commentator who helped me understand this in the bigger light, so I'll read his words. One of the most important functions of this closing chapter is to remind the Corinthians that their church belongs to a wider network of communities. Note the reference to Galatia, Jerusalem, Macedonia, Ephesus, and the churches of Asia. And that their life in Christ necessarily involves them in a mission that links them with the wider world. The work of the Lord is an urgent matter. And the church at Corinth must learn to see themselves as participants in the larger missionary enterprise. You see, the church at Corinth couldn't see past themselves. All of their fights, <clears throat> all of their fights were focused on me. <clears throat> Which preacher do I like? What kind of meat do I want to eat? When can I take communion? And where can I share communion? And my spiritual gift makes me more spiritually powerful than you. And time after time after time, Paul has been trying to show them that to be a person of faith is to be self-sacrificial just like Jesus. And so as Paul wraps up this letter, he says you need to quit thinking about yourself because the kingdom of God is bigger 
than the church in Corinth. Brothers and sisters, there are some great things that happen here at Wilshire. And we are engaged in some important ministry. Ministry to each other and ministry to our immediate community. But listen, the church is bigger than just Wilshire. We are part of the kingdom of God that encircles the globe. <clears throat> and what Peter or what Paul is doing to the church in Corinth is he is saying, get past yourself and give to the work of the Lord that is beyond your doors and participate in the kingdom of God that is at work around the world. It's not just about you. So this past week, <clears throat> I was invited to a dedication at Oklahoma Christian in the education department. And the education department is in the American Heritage Building. If you've been on OC's campus, it's up on top of the hill. And I was, I was there because they were dedicating a resource room in the name of Floyd and Lloyd Coppage. And as I stood there and listened to them talk about Floyd and Lloyd and the work they had done in education and their desire to help kids come to know Jesus through even classroom things, I was reminded that on the floor above me is an entire area that is dedicated to the name of Jim Wilson. Because of the work and ministry he'd done on that campus. And as I stood there thinking about that, I remembered that this is the same building that John Thompson taught in for years and years and years. And it's the same building that they even let Ryan Newell have an office in. <laughs> it's tucked away in the corner for good reasons, but it's there. And I was reminded that Wilshire is bigger than this building, that the influence of this church is on places where people are naming buildings after the work that's been done. But I was also reminded that there are missionaries in Togo, Africa, because of your generosity. That there's mission work in Egypt, because of your generosity. That the gospel is being spread in India, because of your generosity. That there is a goat and a ram named after Howard Hopwood, in the Philippines. There's a joke there, Hoppy, but I'm not going to touch it. <laughs> the kingdom of God is bigger than this church building. And you're part of that. It's tempting to skip 1 Corinthians 16. Just travel plans. Just technicalities. But read closer. Because Paul is saying, Jesus is raised, and you will be raised. And because we know that is true, be steadfast, be unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because your labor is not in vain. Now get to work. That's 1 Corinthians 16. So this morning we invite you to join us in the work of the Lord here at Wilshire and around the world.
through believing in Jesus Christ and the hope and the image of that kingdom to where he has promised to make all things new. And because he is raised, you are invited to take part in that. That may mean this morning you need to be baptized into Jesus Christ where God says you become a new creation so that you can be employed in the work of new creation around the world. If we can help you do that this morning, we invite you to come while we stand and sing together.